With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Attention Social Security and SSI recipients. If you did not receive an economic impact payment for your eligible spouse or dependents, you may need to file a 2020 tax return with the IRS and claim the recovery rebate credit. Go to ssa.gov EIP to see if you need to file a tax return and if eligible for other refundable tax credits, like the child tax credit. That's ssa.gov EIP. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. All this week on NBC4, new products to new technology. Susan Hogan is showing you how local restaurants are changing the way we dine in and take out in this new world. Tonight at 6. A new twist on outdoor eating. A lot of it is creating flexibility. How one local restaurant is making their outdoor space mobile, giving you plenty of sunshine and social distance for a stress-free meal. It's all part of restaurant revitalization. Tonight at 6 on NBC4, working for you. Hello everybody and welcome to the Premier League Nightclub Podcast. My name is Damon and with me I have the Woodrow Woody. How are you, mate? Because how was your Christmas? We we spoke about how it was yeah. probably Christmas Eve last episode, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. My Christmas was busy. Super chocked. Greek family. Yeah. Does, you know, big... You go hard. Big outing. Yeah. Big outing. What about you, mate? Yeah, no, it was it was all right. It, uh, obviously, gifts are a big part of the Christmas time. And What'd you get the girlfriend? Uh, just, just some stuff. Just, you know... <laughs> No, just a nice dinner and we got something uh, small for Beauty. each other. So Beauty. that was all right. Nice. Um, you know, other than that, pretty chill. We've obviously got New Year's coming up. There will be an episode uh, before New Year's. Woody went there on the 30th. Yeah, on the 30th. So stay tuned for that. But today's a little bit of a powwow episode. Mm-hmm. So even though, like, obviously we've recorded now three times in about a week, I think <laughs> it is. Well, it yeah. will be three times. It will be three times, yep. Yeah. So obviously that also means... The socials have been pumping. We've got goal of the week. We've pretty much been posting every day. Every day. Every day. So, I just wanted to talk about the goal of the week sort of situation. Yeah. We're gonna, we're... See, <laughs> it, was a, it was an interesting call by me because I posted, I posted it not knowing what was going to happen in the City Wolves game this mm-hmm. morning, which is 6.45 a.m. So, I posted the goal of the week um, on Friday night. Yep. And with that being said... There was I, I made an early call and I said, "Hey, look, whatever is going to happen transpire in that game <laughs> is not going to beat Jordan Ayew's 90th minute winner." Because that was are you sticking by it now that you've seen silk. the goals? Uh yes, I yeah. will. Traore's was close, wasn't it? it, it no, no. I, re- I reckon if it was a couple of feet back, further yeah. out. You had to have a look at it, but, but, it's not, but it wasn't. Yeah, no, I don't think you can. And in the context of the game, and I's got we were so confident IU was going to get goal of the week with the, the filthy, filthy uh, little roulette, dink. little uh, sidestep, and the dink as well. 
that we even bet a slab to anyone who was going to call us out on our Insta, <laughs> a slab of beer, a case that if there was a better goal in that game, we would be happy to chop it out to anyone that called us out. Yeah, well, we even had a Man City fan on the Insta call us out, basically just be like, oh, boys, there's uh, there's still another game to go, despite the caption clear- clearly saying that. But I think uh, Connor uh, dot Howard. 2006. I wonder how he's feeling because not only did he say, oh, there's still more goals to come. There was three against your own teammate. <laughs> yeah. And so I think he was probably very, he'd be disappointed this morning or wherever he is situated. Mate, any City fan would be disappointed. Almost every fan in the EPL bar Liverpool fans would, would be disappointed. Would be disappointed this. <laughs> well, like, obviously we're going to get stuck into the Wolves versus City game. We're also going to get stuck into the Jordan Ayew goal. Palace versus West Ham. Two massive games for differing reasons, but just as good as each other. But before we get stuck into those, Woody, would you be happy to get us stuck into those quick fire results? Sure thing. To kick off the round, Tottenham down Brighton 2-1. Arsenal stuttering. Drew with Bournemouth 1-0. Watford and Sheffield drew 1-0. Southampton beat Chelsea 2-0. Aston Villa beat Norwich 1-0. Palace down the Hammers 2-1. Everton down Burnley 1-0. Newcastle got thumped by United 4-1. Liverpool down probably their only competition for the season in Leicester 4-0. And to cap off the round, 6.45am Saturday morning, Wolves came back from 2-0 down, 2-0 down to Thrash City 3-2. Well, just before we get stuck into Palace versus West Ham, just want to touch on the uh, Man United-Newcastle game, only because last week, obviously, we had the pleasure of uh, Director of Sport at Optusport, Richard Bayless, and we asked for his five-a-side team. You can suss that out at Premier League Nightclub on the Insta. Uh, We had MTJW2005, who didn't agree with uh, Big Richo's five-a-side team. He, he went with Dubravka, Virgil van Dijk, De Bruyne, Kante, and Vardy. Now, Woody, would you say that's a, a meta team in terms of, like, they're probably four out of the five top players in the league. Yeah, I think by Dubravka, who had probably a bit of a blinder, like, game. and, and But he made a mistake that cost him the game, actually. Yeah, yeah, like, uh, when I first saw... This guy's comment. I was like, you know what? It's a fair point. Dubravka's been one of the more underrated keepers this season. Obviously, we've spoken about Newcastle's really good defensive record before the weekend, uh, before the Boxing Day, I should say. But Dubravka, yeah, he probably should have saved Anthony Martial's first shot. And look, he probably couldn't do much about the other three, three goals. But yeah, he'd, he'd want when, his time when again. When you're being on that first. beaten near post, you're not happy. He got wrong footed, and yeah, he really should should have saved that. And he it got was a, hand a weak weak wrist as well. Yeah. So um, not the best. He was a Newcastle fan, so obviously it might have been a little bit of bias in his in his point. But yeah, Woody, your thoughts? Damien, you're right, and I'm, I'm going to say you're right because picking four out of five meta players is not a fun way to play five <laughs> aside. It's not a fun way to play five aside, and that's why I've, that's why I really liked uh, Big Richie Bayless as five aside because he went with um, Matty Ryan, obviously the Australian connection. Mm-hmm. Then with went, then went with um, Cesar Azpilicueta, Jimmy Madison, KDB, and then up top he went for. Can't remember Woody, can you? Sadio Mane, mate. Yeah, he went for Sadio Mane. And don't get me wrong, like all those players are absolutely class, um, but by no means is it probably the best pick of every every position. I, I other really, than maybe Mane. I, I really liked his um you know why his reasoning why he picked those players. I thought that was like really good and just shows the knowledge he had of the world game. But 
we should probably just now get stuck straight into the the big one for a relegation scrapper and a team that has overachieved thus far this season, and that is Crystal Palace versus West Ham. Nibble Palace, so they can build an attack from here, are you? Nicely done by Ayu. Oh, he's danced his way through. And how about the finish as well? What a moment from Ayu. Unbelievable finish from Jordan Ayu. We know what he's been capable of this season. He started like a house on fire, but he came back, got the assist on the weekend, and then scored that unreal goal. Woody, how did you see the game from start to finish? Well, it was actually pretty funny because before I jump into the analysis, the game was almost a carbon copy of the first leg earlier on in the season. Yeah. And I got called out on Instagram because I called West Ham Newcastle, but I think it was because I was researching Newcastle at the time. (laughs) Nevertheless, Jordan Ayew scored the dagger both times from a Palace one one nil down to come back win two one, and to be honest with you, like the game was almost exactly the same with the stats as well, um, except I you scored in the ninetieth minute instead of the eighty seventh minute this time. But look, realistically, like Palace were probably all over him for um, most of the game. Oh yeah, and I d- was deserved gonna, the win. I was going to say just watching the game, you know, not even trying to overanalyze what was going on. It just I think even the commentator said it moments before West Ham scored the first goal that if there's going to be a goal today, because let's be honest, the first half was pretty dry. Yeah, we thought Crystal Palace were going to score, and of course they ended up winning the game. But they were they would have Selhurst Park was concerned for a large period there that they weren't ahead, and then of course went behind. And it was actually surprising they were down for so long because oh not down for so long, but they hadn't scored for so long because one man um, before we get stuck into Jordan IU, we've, we've talked about a fair bit so far this season. That's that man is Wilfred Zaha. He had an absolute blinder and a half. And before I get into his direct opponent in um, Zabaleta, Zabaleta um, we'll just touch on Zaha because he had 12 comp- completed dribbles for the game. And it seems like he's starting to put in realistically a good string of performances. Now, I've yeah. seen a lot of comments on... Getting social- ready for January? <laughs> he's get- yeah, he, he's getting ready for January. He's getting ready for summer. Yep. Now, for me, I don't really... As a Palace fan, as, if I was a Palace fan, I wouldn't really care if he was pre- preparing because at the end of the day... He's benefiting Palace at the moment. Oh yeah, 100%. no, no matter. And and that now that he's playing well, they're probably gonna probably gonna try and you know squeeze out every bit of seventy million out of him as exactly. well. And I think they'll probably get more than well, they'll ask for more than seventy million, even though he hasn't had the greatest of seasons. I think yeah. the way Pal- uh, Palace finish, I'm not sure where they're going to finish, but so they currently sit ninth. And I think regardless of goals and assists and statistics, Zaha influences their position on the table because teams have to concentrate on him. Yeah. They have to pre-plan for Wilfred Zaha. So, you know, we've now seen the emergence of Jordan Ayew this season. And regardless of, as I said, regardless of how Zaha has been going so far, I think he has to be credited with a little bit of how Ayu's played this season. Would you, do you understand where I'm coming from? Yeah, there, I, I can completely agree. I think Ayu, I think we said it very earlier in the season, is playing as a perfect foil for Wilfred Zaha. Mm. Because the way he attacks defenders, and we saw very much during this game, he had 90% passing accuracy, 92% passing accuracy in the forward third, which is amazing for a forward. Three-shot assist, two big chances created, the goal assist, and also the winning goal. IU is proving himself to be one of the buyers of the season in the Premier League at just 2.8 million euros on close to deadline day. I think when we look at this as well, you think, yeah, okay, Palace sit well above West Ham on the table, probably an expected result at Selhurst Park. But it's important to note Christian Benteke was ruled out just before the game with a muscle injury. Uh, Van Arnholt went down 
just in that second half, I believe, Woody. Mm-hmm. And so that side's already starting depleted with some other injuries. And the way they've been able to combat that and sit where they are and play the way they did, to be honest. Kiate scored the other goal. I thought he was brilliant during, during the game. I thought everyone put in a shift. I remember saying at the start of the year that Gary Cahill was one of the signings of the season for the stability that they gave Chris, he's given Crystal Palace. He's proving to be. He's proving to be, but they've been without him for a short period of time mm. now, and they don't seem to be bothered by it. That's, I'm not saying I was wrong. I'm just saying that it, once you put in that plat, put that platform there, it gives everybody else around you confidence with or without him on the pitch. Yeah, 100%. I think the Palace group that is there now, despite the amount of injuries they have, is really starting to rally around Roy Hodgson and, and have a really a unitary um, belief in their system at the moment, which is really promising as well because we know Palace are, are probably, probably five or six players away from having a, a squad that is able to compete week in, week out because of the amount of injuries they have. Mm-hmm. So full credit to them. like They're, they're showing their colors, and, and it's, it's really unbelievable, Like led by Zaha as well. Um, yeah, it's just... Again, so good to see. So good to see. There is like one comparison here, and it's obviously the team they were playing, and that was West Ham. And mm. Manuel Pellegrini is coming under some serious strife here. We talk about how Roy Hodgson's been able to get some really good stuff out of the players he has at his disposal. But on the other hand, Pellegrini, you'd have to say, is underperforming as a manager. We know what he's been able to achieve prior to coming to England, of course, won the league with City. And to be honest with you, a couple, maybe a month ago, it looked like he his time was up. It was reports suggesting that if they lost to Southampton a couple of weeks ago, he was done. But of course, they came out 1-0 winners in that. And now that he still sits in that position. But I think from watching it, the way West Ham went about it, he hasn't got a lot of time left. I mean, it's not like they were playing a big, big powerhouse club. They were playing Crystal Palace and they looked horrific. Yeah, and it was this, uh, I guess, the other South American in the team, Pablo Zabaleta, who was caught out of position so... So much of the game. I felt sorry for Zabaleta. I felt sorry for him as well because looking at the lineup, other than seeing Roberto in goal and all the all the fans like far out. He had no Why other choice. Is Martin was injured, so yeah, I know. But he was he was labelled earlier this season when he when he went for the punch. I can't remember against who. I, I think, think it was Burnley. I think it was against Burnley, and he and he scored an own goal. Um, he was labelled as West Ham's worst player in their history, 125 <laughs> year history, by some of the fans. But nonetheless, Zabaleta, like when you see him on the team sheet, you saw Snodgrass and Zabaleta against Van Arnholt and Zaha. You could just see it was probably the biggest pace discrepancy of all time in a Premier League lineup. To be honest with you, to, to be honest with you, I, I know you're going to go into about how poor Zabaleta was, but there was just one instance. People who watch the game might know what I'm talking about. Yeah, there was an occasion where. Uh, of course, Snodgrass being a left footer, went to cut in on his left, probably just outside the box, and he was waiting for Zabaleta to make that darting run. And in the build-up, Van Arnholt got a really good foot in, and then on it, and then but Snodgrass still had time. And to be honest with you, uh, Zabaleta was probably uh, if he was in another stadium, he might have been closer to the ball. That's how yeah. miles off back he was, and it just yeah. summed up. There was no no offered nothing. Mate, all day. They they defined walking football. <laughs> oh, they defined it seriously. I'm still was... not sure how Snodgrass actually scored. That, I wasn't. Sure. I'm not asleep. sure how Zaha scored. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, you know, Roberto ended up making a couple of good saves against Zaha early in the first half. But far out, you know, he did he did Zaha every favor that he possibly could. The amount of times he was caught out of position, I think, it was four times he was left for dead in the first half. Yeah, because he was venturing so far forward. So far forward. And the thing is, he won 40% of all of his duels and 33% of tackles, but they are the ones that he only got to. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, the stats don't he tell the full story. He got skin in the first half, and, and it showed in the second half probably 
how much they needed to adjust because he didn't venture forward nearly as much, was nowhere near as adventurous as he was in the first 45 minutes and sat further back to compensate for Zaha and Van Arnholt's pace. But obviously Van Arnholt went off earlier in the game. But if we look at West Ham as a whole, they are in a hole. Yeah, well, that's for sure. Let me let me just give you one scenario here, Woody, and you take it you take it from here, okay? Yep. When West Ham went one goal up, let's be honest, fortunate, but they did credit to mm-hmm. Southampton led Chelsea one nil at this stage and were hanging on for dear life. Villa was somehow zero zero against Norwich. Norwich were the better team that in, throughout all that game. Okay, thirty minutes that followed, Crystal Palace of course scored twice. West Ham lose the game. Southampton score again, beat Chelsea 2-0 away from home. And Villa found a goal late in the game to, to win that one as well. Does that 30 minutes now cost Pellegrini his job? Look, I can't see how Pellegrini is going to be in charge of West Ham in the next few weeks, come the new year. Mm-hmm. Because for me, they are as close to relegation as they've been in probably the last five or six years. Well, think about where they've come from. Three years ago, they finished they sixth. Finished, they finished sixth. I, I don't understand. Like, they're paying Jack Wilshire 100k a week, and he's played. I can't even. You couldn't you count on one hand how many games he's yeah. played in the last year, in the last calendar year. That's the thing. West Ham are in such a hole. They're getting. They replaced Adrian with Roberto and. Uh, what's his face? Um, Kelly. Was it, is that the other West Ham keeper? I can't remember. Anyway, nonetheless, Martin. Martin yes. Sorry, Martin. Yes. Um, nonetheless, right? He, but he, Adrian is so much better than those two washed-up thirty-three-year-olds. Sure, Adrian is thirty-two, but they've replaced their best keeper of the last five years with two washed-up thirty-three-year-olds on a free transfer. You'd think if you're going to spend any money to fix a, fix a leaking ship of a back four, you would put it in the keeper. Yeah, I don't understand. They're struggling. They really they're, are struggling. Th- that's why they're reverting back to Roberto because they've got no one else. Yeah. Thank goodness they need um, Fabianski to come back. Yeah. Wow, and, and the thing is, you know, West Ham are losing their identity as a club. They've labeled themselves now as a London club, which had fans in uproar a couple of years ago when the prospect first came up. Mm-hmm. They've sold this stadium and now. They're probably going to face a bit of bankruptcy in January because who knows where they're going to get the, where they're going to get the money from to buy players. The, uh, if they knew they were going to be in this position, the stadium, everything, it just makes it so much worse. It makes it so much worse. And for West Ham fans, uh, 125 years, they've just thrown 125 years worth of history down the drain by selling their club yeah. and re, re, redefining themselves as a London club. I don't understand. They are in a serious identity crisis, but not only that, it's flowing down from the board. Pellegrini's only there because of his stature and his previous results with other teams, right? And better lists. And better lists. And same thing with Wilshire. He's only there because he was on a big big top six team. And the same goes with a lot of these other players as well. That's true, yeah. And and you look at guys like Kuyate, who scored against them. Yeah. And I think there's now rumors flying around that West Ham are looking at um, Crystal Palace's keeper, ironically, and which is understandable. Guetta has been out re- unreal this season, but it's it's almost like a case of too little, too late. Do you know what I mean? It is, and I don't see where they're going to get wins from now. That's the thing. If because everyone down the bottom are scrapping to keep up, 
West yeah. Ham are so lazy on the ball, so lazy in games. They do not show. They are not showing like they want the drive to stay up. Yeah. And for that reason, I think they might not may not necessarily go down, but far out they deserve to go down at the moment. Yeah. For and sure. one man that also agrees with that is um, our man on Insta uh, at C underscore Reeve underscore who thinks Pellegrini's time's up. Yeah. And I can as a West agree Ham, with him. He's West Ham. He knows you know the fans know their own team more than anyone. So. We'll take his word for it. We'll take the media's word for it. And hopefully you can take our word for it because I think Pellegrini might not be the manager come the new year, as you said, Woody. Agree. Are we ready to get stuck into winners and losers? Let's do it. Winners and losers. Oi, did someone say winners and losers? Sure did, mate. So good. Yeah, it's so good. It'll be just as good in 2020. Like It's it's not going to be a 2019 thing. It's just going to be good. For another 12 months. You know, it'd probably be good forever. But anyway. <laughs> All right, I'm going to kick this one off, Woody. And my winner is... I mean, we it could be our winner every single week, but it just has to be Liverpool. And and it's Liverpool because... Look, funny enough, they've won five Boxing Day games in a row now. First time in their history. Aggregate of 15-0. Oh. But they didn't just get the win on Boxing Day. It, it was... It was an absolute mauling of the second-place team on the, in, on the table. They made the second-place team look like a relegation scrapper. And we've spoken about Alexander-Arnold, we've spoken about Andy Robertson and how good they've been, but Trent probably had his best game of his career. Mm. Two assists, a goal, five accurate crosses, created three massive chances, obviously a clean sheet, he, he killed it. He really yeah. did kill it. And Andy Robertson probably had more of the defensive duties this time around. Ball recoveries, 14 most. Tackles attempted, seven. I mean, he just killed it. Tackles, one, four. Interceptions, two. He was everywhere. And for a team that dominated so much, the work that... You know, I just read out those Andy Robertson stats. It's just a reflection of... Yeah, you know, imagine if Liverpool weren't as strong as they were. He'd, he'd be showing his ability even more. But, you know, as a, lef- as a defender in this Liverpool team, it's getting to the point now where we're not actually sure if they're having good or bad seasons. Maybe Especially Van Dyke. We're just like, okay, well, Van Dyke's killing it because the whole team's killing it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, it's really difficult to say, but yeah, Liverpool my winner, and of course City losing this morning helps their cause even more. That Liverpool have won the league. Mm. Woody, who is your winner? All right, so I talked up Danny Ings in my winners and losers. I think it was two or three weeks ago, and I talked up Southampton yet again last week. Emphasis on James Ward-Prowse. Now, my winner of the week is that man, James Ward-Prowse, because yet again he's delivered in a huge game in a two-nil win, thumping over Chelsea. And more specifically, I wanted to hone in on this man because we've talked about him so much, so much, his ability to score, his ability to assist. But what I wanted to highlight was his defensive efforts in the Chelsea game because he got man of the match and he was absolutely everywhere, winning nine tackles, more than twice as many of any other pitch, any other player on the pitch, right? He was the only player to run over 12 Ks in the game. I don't think I run 12 Ks in a year <laughs> and he covered more ground than anyone. He said post-game that the Saints played Chelsea off the park. Let me correct you, Jimmy Ward-Prowse. You played Chelsea off the park. I am jumping on the Saints Saints hype train at the moment, and I'm not getting off anytime soon. They rested Danny Ings as well. Still got they, the and they, they brought him on as a sub. Even still, James Ward-Prowse, far out, man. They were everywhere. Defensive masterclass. Lockdown Chelsea. Mate. They're a different what side. a game. They're a different well, they side. are. They're, they're similar to Palace. They are starting to rally around each other and scrap. That's what they needed to do, and that's what they're doing at the moment. 100%. Damo, who is your loser of the week? My loser is Norwich City. Now, 
the reason I say it is the game on Boxing Day was the prime example of a team that's going to be relegated and has been relegated in the past. Now, I'm not even looking at this as a six-point game sort of thing that the media like to say. I know they were playing Villa, but six, 16 shots, six on target, and hit the woodwork once. How can you not score? Norwich had to score. They just It, it was no if, buts, or maybes about it. It was do or die for them. If they got the win, it completely changes their season. With Watford drawing to Sheffield, they go now bottom, they're done. They will go down. There's no way back for them. And I'm not saying they're going to go down purely because of this game, but it's games like that that just are typical of any team that ends up being relegated. Mm. So they are done. Woody, who is your loser? All right, my loser of the week is Leicester. And I don't think you can look past a Leicester team as a loser. And I'm not going to completely roast them because I'm going to save that for a bit later. Okay. All right. But looking at the team as a whole, they had three shots for the game, none of which were on target. But it was, moreover, it was a perfect opportunity for them to show why they are now the direct rivals for Liverpool this season, other than Man City. Mm-hmm. Perfect opportunity. And like you said, Damo, Liverpool made them look like a bloody relegation team. Yeah. Now, you'd think world stage, most likely going to be the game of the round. Everyone in the world is watching this that watches EPL. Yep. This is the one you're tuning in for this week. Boxing Day Bonanza. They had the uh, final game of the day, which was the t- single time slot. So yep. there's no other games on Everyone the was watching this game. Now, Leicester came out and got absolutely schwacked by Liverpool. Now, everyone knows the result, but what are the repercussions for this team? Can, can you? I'm going to ask this question to you, Damo. As a Leicester team now, can you sit back and say... Liverpool are just too good. We can't talk about the result because we're still second. We've still got an opportunity. We're still probably going to finish top four if we continue at our pace. Yep. Is that even? Is that a? Is that an escape? Well, because I feel as if a lot of Leicester actually, fans would be doing this. I, I I think it was a case of Liverpool just being too good to an extent. Okay, but I'll come back with two questions for you, yep. Woody. Answer them individually if you can. Firstly, if Riyad Mahrez and Harry Maguire were in that team. Would they? Hey, don't forget the Johnsons are coming over. I want to find a rosé Jill hasn't tried yet. Let's go exploring at Total Wine. Their prices are ridiculously low. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, always low prices. Total Wine and more. Have one drawn or at least not lost by as much? Uh, I think... Uh, I, mm, I don't know. I, and I, the reason why I don't know, and I can't Chuck and Golo Kante in there as well. I, I can't, so, you, are you saying that Jam, James Madison um, is still in that team? We're yes. saying that Tillemans is still in that team? I know, it's a hard question to We're answer. saying that... Um, uh, Indeedy. Indeedy still in that team? Yeah, I get I get what you're saying. I'm just, you can't. I just think like... And, but I think, uh, to answer that question, I do think that the Leicester team this year are better than the Leicester team of 15-16. However, I think Liverpool are so far above what that Leicester, that this Leicester team are. Yeah, okay. Fair that, enough. And, my, my and the question, second question? Does Brendan Rodgers have a plan B? Because we've seen him do a job on heaps of teams. But that's two weeks in a row now he's conceded, se- he's conceded seven goals all up and just scored the one to the two big clubs at the moment in the mm. league. Does he have a plan B? Uh, and I'll hit you back with a question here. Does he need a plan B? Uh, it depends what their ambitions are. 
But if they're finishing just top four, I, I think don't... if they if they if their goal is to finish top four right now, Brendan Rodgers doesn't need a plan B. I well, agree with. Like you. I was said, City and Liverpool are so far further in their development than Leicester are at the moment. I think the biggest thing for Leicester is not developing not developing a plan B, but keeping the players they have through January and through summer. Because if they can do that, if they can do that, then by all means they'll get through and be playing Europe next year because I think that is probably the minimum of what they want to achieve so far this season. And they're going to. I think they will. Hopefully. All right. Let's move on to our next game. And we know this is a Powell episode, Woody, so we will try and get to the point as much as we can, but we do like to babble on a little bit here on the nightclub like I am right now. So let's get stuck into the Wolves up against Manchester City. Doherty, 30 yards from goal. To Jimenez, back to Doherty, into the area, Doherty to cycle, oh, Matt Doherty, Matt Doherty, Matt Doherty, into the bottom corner, left-footed to send Molyneux, into sheer Matt Doherty, what a game that was this morning, honestly. I knew you do that. <laughs> no, unreal, unreal scenes. Of course, Woody, you you watched the first half, then had to go to work, yeah. and literally check the score and like, what the hell happened? Well, I saw Sterling scored, and I saw saw him start, like, I, I watched, saw his goal in the second half, yep, yep. all right, and I was like, this is done, like, how are Wolves literally, like, with the firepower they've got at the moment. Yeah, but how how are they 2-0 down? Mm. Like, they had two penalty saves and were still 1-0 down. <laughs> Far out. And then I came, I was on my break and I saw this. I was like, what the hell? How did this turn around? <laughs> Far out. It was, it was an immense game and probably a game that we didn't think was going to happen, actually. We thought we, we probably thought it was going to be a dry game. Yeah, well, but it turned out this game was by itself on a separate day to Boxing Day. Yeah. And this is hours after the game we're talking about this, isn't it? Mm. So, you know, this is all fresh. Happened this morning for us here in Australia. Last night for those overseas. But, you know, we didn't expect to be sitting here talking about Wolves City, but Wolves have done the double over Man City. Nuno Santo has become the first manager, or second manager, I should say, other than Antonio Conte, to do the double over Pep Guardiola. Yeah, and far out. It was was so interesting to see because... I just didn't expect it. I'm still a bit I'm still a bit shocked it happened. But I think the best way to sort of dissect this game is to go from the start. And we're looking at the start, we're looking twelve minutes in when Edison when Edison absolutely cleaned up uh, I think it was Diego Yotta. Yep. Um but looking fifteen seconds back, I think it epitomized City's de- defensive efforts for the day, um, leading up to when Edison got his red card, and that was Otamendi getting caught out five yards and still allowing the Wolves to get onto goal. Mm. And I think that's the thing. And Edison came out, for me, first up, it wasn't a red card, but then I saw the replays. Make contact like that, you're done. He had to. He had to go off. He had to go off. And then from there, City, I guess, were probably a little bit shell-shocked. Um, it was hard because... It took time they, for them to adjust. They, they had to bring Aguero <laughs> off as well. Yeah, actually, do, do you mind if I get stuck into that? Yeah, please do. Please because do. I look at... I'll look at Wolves first and how they adapted to the red card, okay? Ruben Neves and Gian Martino were phenomenal. It was... All right, red card into consideration, I know. (laughs) But they had 175 passes between them. Ruben Neves went at 87% passing accuracy. Just 7% of his passes went backwards. He he was on the move, ready to go, trying to go at this City defence. Like we've spoken about so often, you need to do when you're playing City right now. Mm. Three shot assists, a goal assist himself, and two shots himself. Gian Martino, 80 passes, 
93% passing accuracy and sh- six shot assists. They continually put in big games in the against the big boys, don't they? Oh, it's, it's phenomenal. It's getting ridiculous. And I, I know, as I said, I know City were down to 10 men, so obviously any two any central midfielder is going to love playing against a team that's one, one man down. Completely, okay. completely. So we have to take that into consideration. But I just think... Overall, the way Wolves went about it, even when they were 2-0 down, obviously I thought it was over, you thought it was over, Woody, but you couldn't actually sit there and say they were doing anything wrong. They just couldn't find a goal. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, completely. And so once they finally got that first one, everything started to really cook into motion. I know it took about another 25 minutes for them to find the next one, but I think from then on you felt that City had more goals to leak. Didn't know whether it was going to be one, two, or even three, but you knew throughout that City were not going to keep a clean sheet. Yeah, and I think that I think Pep almost realised that as well when he brought off De Bruyne in the 65th minute as the third sub. I think he almost knew that the game was getting away from them, and it certainly was at the time. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. I think that's why Pep brought KDB off, because why would you risk injuring the best player in the league if you know that if you, the best that you're best hopeful for the draw? Best, well, just best holding hope, on. Yeah, yeah like just you might as well bring on Gundogan, which you did. Yeah, and, so, and to run out of the game. Exactly. Um, but I think if we look at the way that City almost reacted to the red card in the second half, they brought on Garcia, the very young centre-back, and they switched to a five at the back, Damo, which was pretty interesting because they played a 5-3-1 with Sterling as a lone man up front. And we know we talked about this a bit earlier as Don't well. Don't get me started on Raheem Sterling. Because he, ca- he can't hold up. He I can't was, hold up. I was amazed. I really was amazed. And I know he scored two goals, but he he had 21 touches for the whole game, which I know City didn't have much of the ball. Actually, Guardiola's least amount of percent, percent, percent possession in his managerial career, 38%. But I think Sterling went at 62% passing accuracy. Over half his passes went backwards, mm. which means... He was trying to be that hold-up player, but he, he I, couldn't. He just couldn't. He couldn't do it. And I, and I think, you know, I didn't have the greatest of days other than the goals. If I'm being honest, well, he actually missed the penalty as well. Yeah, he right. got saved, and and he missed, he hit a free kick in the 93rd minute that hit the hit the crossbar, mm. and it could have got them a point, but it wasn't to be. But I just I'm not going to sit here and question Pep Guardiola because we, you know, he's an absolute legend from a manager's perspective. But I was just really, I was confused at the substitution to bring Aguero off. Yeah, but I guess given all that, is it like, if we look at the game in a context as well, and in a bigger picture, is it Sterling's fault that he wasn't able to hold up the ball as well as he would have liked? Because I guess he was the lone man one against three. Mm-hmm. But with over half of his passes going backwards, clearly he was trying to. And like, what do you put it down to? Because Sterling at the end of the day is probably one of the best wingers in the world. And considered to be probably the top three in his position. Like, what do you put it down to? They couldn't break down on Wolves? I just think that... Well, look, I, I take... I know Raoul Mara started started the game and probably one of his uh, rarer starts for Man City mm. during his time there. And if you take... Look at Leicester, when his time at Leicester. Every time a uh, red card was given to one of the Leicester players, think back to Danny Simpson in the year they won the league, Mara's was quite often, despite being probably the most talented player on their squad list the player sacrificed. And it says a lot about him. We know Myers isn't going to run 12Ks in a game. Do you know mm. what I mean? He's Yeah. He's a, he's not a luxury player. I think that's a bit harsh. He's a cherry on top. But he, yeah. To he, an extent. He can be a cherry on top player. So I was surprised that Pep kept Myers on. Aguero, when he was on, I know it was only 420-odd minutes, He's he was he did not miss a pass that went backwards. 100% success rate when he passed backwards. 
And so I think Aguero would have been a much better option for a hold-up hold up player, and Sterling could have easily worked off him. Obviously, Pep, you know, might not have planned for such a situation, but I just thought it was really strange, you know, the the lack of success City had in the way they're trained, in, in their substitutions. I thought Pep probably didn't have his greatest, greatest day as a manager up until halftime. Well, with Damo, we've talked about the good in the Wolves, the bad about City, and look, I think it's time that we mentioned the ugly, and that's the gap between City and Liverpool at the moment, because currently it's 14 points, and Liverpool have a game in hand against a struggling West Ham. That is yet to be rescheduled, and look, I think it's only going to get uglier as well, because they could potentially be 17 points clear come the new year. It's ridiculous. Far out. 17 points clear. That's insane. It and is. we're harping on about 10-point leads that... that it's, it's over. It it's, is. It has to be done. It is over. And I think, you know, it's a credit to Liverpool, the way that Klopp's turned the team around, the way... You know, City are a fantastic team. They won two league titles in a row. But to go three in a row, it's mentally very, very, very difficult. Mm. We saw Chelsea struggle with it. We've seen Man United teams struggle with it. Of course, achieved it twice. But that was incredible. And we know what sort of teams Man United put on the park during their dominant era. So I think it's not taken away from Man City. It had to end eventually. And I'm sure they'll be back next season. Obviously, it depends on whether Pep's there, let's be honest. Mm. But I think we can pretty much just wrap this Man City-Wolves game up in saying it, the writing was on the wall for much of the game. And it mm. just took to the last few minutes for Wolves to get the chocolates. And, you know, Wolves are sitting now fifth. They're flying. They are. They're really flying. and They're doing really well. But they, they haven't stuck to the uh, tradition of going into Europe and then letting their league form suffer. They're, they're flying with this minimum squad depth. They are flying. But you've got to be worried about the congested midfield um, in the Premier League table. Of course, from Wolves to Burnley, who are 12th, there's only two games as a gap. So, you it can know, change in a matter of it can, weeks. Can change in, can change in a busiest, week. Yeah, but it's a busy fixture now. Yeah, exactly. So it would be interesting to see what the end result is come the FA Cup break. Spot on. All right, Woody. We haven't had one of these for a while, and I do often look forward to them when I know they're on the agenda. And, Woody, I'm not sure exactly what you're going to get stuck into, but I do think it is time for Woody's Whip. Yeah, Damo, it's time for that again, because I've, I've been a bit pissed off recently, and, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm the first one to get stuck into refs, and you've seen me play futsal, and you've seen me play, we've played... Um, Football together any as well. Any sort of competitive. Any sort of competitive. Any, anything. Anything. <laughs> anything. Um, I've always been one to flip it, right? And I've, I've had the temp. I've go my, you know, I turn red and I go nuts. Um, <laughs> and and, and I, I see red and I just yeah, I, I crack it sometimes on the field. Mm-hmm. But you know what I hate is bagging the ref after the game, mm-hmm. and I think it's completely unfair because. You have to know when to, to, to cop it on the chin and know you've lost. And that's exactly what Casper Schmeichel proved he couldn't do after their pumping from Liverpool 4-0 on the weekend. And I want to get stuck in this Casper Schmeichel because you'd think he's a title winner, two-time Danish Football of the Year, two-time Player of the Year for Leicester, multiple-time captain, and now you can add to that list a bloody salty loser. Right? <laughs> His comments after the game were actually a freaking joke. Quote, we were in the game until the referee decided to make himself a hero. Are you kidding me, mate? Are <laughs> you kidding me? So let's dissect this statement in two different ways because I've looked at it, I've reviewed it, and it's made me even more mad. <laughs> Number one, Kaglasoyonchu's uh, left arm was in another bloody postcode, had more enough time to move his arm away, clear-cut penalty, end of story, no doubt about it. 
There was no reason for his arm to be where it was. I think Vi even looked at it and they gave it a penalty. Well, it's so clear if you look at the replay how far Soyuncu's arm was out. I think it was brought in literally for that exact situation. Yeah, and then on top of that, it happened right in front of Schmeichel. So you think the one man who would know if it was a penalty or not would would claim it as a penalty, but no. What he's done is he's used um, the referee as a scapegoat for Liverpool getting bummed by Liverpool. They got you mean, killed. You mean Leicester being but Leicester being <laughs> sorry. Leicester, um, I've seen red. I've seen red. <laughs> Mate, I understand you have an obligation to be biased. You put up your hand saying it's no penalty or whatever, but Post being game. blind is just ridiculous. And mm. if you for to blame that on the referee is just I, I can't believe it from someone that's aspired to be Leicester, Leicester's captain and has been Leicester's captain for so long in so many different games. I think it's just weak. Weak. Number two, still in the game on the still in the game on the scoreline. Yeah, okay, one 0 down. Whatever, still give you that, like, still got a bit of respect to your name. It's going to be close, whatever, okay? Mm -hmm. But goodness me, mate, you hadn't had a shot on target yet. Two for the whole game at that point. How about showing bit of respect to a team that's 17 points clear now, or could be 17 points clear once they win, all right? Put a bit of respect on their name, the Champions League winner as well, Intercontinental Treble. They've done you, and by no means were you playing in a state where you could compete with them. If you were, if you had as many shots or had matched them for the game, different story. Mm-hmm. You were getting killed, killed. I qu- cannot believe how Schmeichel has put claim to this as well. For me, he probably should be fined because he's brought the game, that game, into disrepute by bagging the referee. When really? realistically, I think it was a pretty fair refereed game. And if you watch the game, I think you'd agree with me as well. Yeah, hundred percent. I thought it was. The referee understood the consequences of the game, and he and he made every decision fairly. Pathetic and childish from Schmeichel, to say the least. Ooh. From someone that has had that much experience in a lesser team, I think it's pretty weak. Yeah. Alrighty, Woody, I reckon that wraps this one up. I always love a good whip, and I love to end on a good whip, so... Thank you for that, Woodra. And we've got another episode coming out on the 30th of December, mm. obviously. Then we'll be back on the third or 4th of January, I should say. Yeah. With a special guest. Uh, Mitch Cleary from AFL.com is going to come on in the new year. So if you know who he is, or if you don't know who he is, look him up and get excited for that one. And no he's, doubt you'll see he's just been on an absolute tour and a half over yeah, Europe. He's been uh, traveling all over the place. Germany, France, Spain. England, Spain. He's seen the works in terms of, uh, in a footballing sense. And by all means, we are so keen to get him on the show and hear about his experiences. First hand, first hand. Should be really good. Woody, speaking of socials, yeah, you can find us on Insta at Premier League Nightclub coming at you three times a week and currently at the moment over the uh, holiday more. period every single day of the week. Yep, and you can find us on Twitter at PL Nightclub. We've been posting a heap of stuff. There's going to be a game show maybe next week or the week after. There's definitely one going to come up, so make sure to keep an eye out for that. Posting a lot of other stuff. Damo, yes. I'm going to interrupt you here All right. because... Someone may be returning to the podcast in a few weeks. Yes. And that is man is Sam Well. Sam Sam is going to be back, I think, for the Mitch Cleary guest Mitch show, Cle- yeah. and that'll be on the 4th of Jan. So we've got one more episode without Sam, and then he'll be joining us again. And I think you might be ducking off for a little bit after that, Woodrow, won't you? I am. I'm heading off uh, to Europe with the fam. Um, yeah, so we're heading over there. Lucky enough, I'm going to go see Tottenham versus Liverpool Oof. at Tottenham Stadium. Hopefully go see a Bayern Munich game as well the following week, if all goes well. If all goes well. I'm keen to hear about it. We might even give you a call if you're awake. And or if not, you can give us the first-hand experience when you get back. 
happy to wrap this one up, Woody. Stick a bow on it, mate. Stick a bow on it. I know Christmas has ended, but we'll still use that phrase like we always do. <laughs> Christmas tree's still up, mate. Yeah, that's exactly. And people might not have opened their presents yet. You know, like maybe family member still hasn't come back and opened their present. You never know. Nice. Anyway, I'm just going to stop stop speaking now because I've got nothing else to say. Shut up, shut up now, mate. Shut up. All right, I'm done. I'm out of here. <laughs> See you, Woodra. See you, everybody. We'll be back in a few days. See you, guys. Some cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. All this week on NBC4, new products to new technology. Susan Hogan is showing you how local restaurants are changing the way we dine in and take out in this new world. Tonight at 6. A new twist on outdoor eating. A lot of it is creating flexibility. How one local restaurant is making their outdoor space mobile, giving you plenty of sunshine and social distance for a stress-free meal. It's all part of restaurant revitalization. Tonight at 6 on NBC4, working for you. Sports Social Podcast Network.